on the Empire Podcast this week, we chat with Midsummer Murder star John Nettles. Is it? Oh, wait, no, I misread that. We talk with the star of Midsummer, which is about murders. Ah, Will Poulter is on the podcast this week. How exciting. We all were just completely overwhelmed by it yeah. and all felt sort of wowed and disturbed, kind of in equal measure. All that, plus usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is about to go to see the play that goes wrong for the fourth time. <laughs> Hopefully this time they'll get it right because every time I've seen it so far, uh-huh. embarrassing mishaps oh my goodness. all over the place. I'm surprised that you've given them that many chances for the play that goes wrong to go right. I am eternally optimistic. Why mm. do you think it's deliberate? No, I don't think it could be, could it? Surely if it goes right, then the play that goes wrong has gone wrong, if nothing Whoa. goes wrong. If the play that goes wrong going right <laughs> is wrong, then I never want the play that goes wrong to be right. Sure. Anyway, welcome to the podcast that goes wrong. I am Empire's Chris Hewitt, and I'm joined this week by two colleagues of such a lethal cunning. You've already heard them. They, they couldn't wait. They couldn't, couldn't wait to be yep. introduced. They have what I call James Dyer-itis, which is you just, <laughs> you insert yourself in the podcast before mm-hmm. the folks at home even have the chance to know who the hell you are. Yeah. It's podcast etiquette. It's basic podcast etiquette, guys. It kind of is. It kind yeah. of is. See, I've introduced myself. The people at home know that I am Empire's Chris Hewitt from Empire. Okay. They don't know who you are, Helen O'Hara. Damn it. Ha ha. Yeah. Tricked you. The podcast that goes wrong strikes again. Yes. I have recently booked tickets to go back and see A Midsummer Night's Dream at the bridge again. I am trying Ooh. to find room in my busy schedule to go mm. see that. Uh, my sister and my niece, two separate people, I know we're Northern Irish, but give us credit, are, are over from Northern Ireland at the moment. So... I didn't think they would like Shakespeare, even though my understanding is that there's people comporting around the stage yeah, and it's stuff. It's super, super entertaining right. Shakespeare. But even so, I think it would have been just too much gobbledygook, oh, which is what Shakespeare wrote, of course. How dare you? He specialized in gobbledygook. Uh, so I think we we decided to go with the play that goes wrong. My sister enjoyed it last year. She guffawed. And so we... So you're we, going to the back to the play that goes wrong and not say the comedy about a bank I bank prefer robbery. the play that goes wrong. This feels like a plug for the Mischief Theatre <laughs> yeah. Company. Yeah, I mean, there are worse things to plug. Yeah. There, are, there are worse things to plug, but they are, they are really, really great. And the play that goes wrong is a play that goes deliberately wrong. It's, it's, the conceit is that it's presented, a murder mystery is presented by an inept amateur dramatics <laughs> society and things go wrong. It's but wonderful. The precision of the comedy is exquisite. And the comedy about a bank robbery has audacious set pieces. But for me, maybe it didn't come what, together quite as, what's as well. What's that one about? I should introduce you. Hello, Ben Travis. How are you? <laughs> Hello, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, so the comedy about bank robbery is... Um, <laughs> what's that about? <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to sum up. It's yeah, a sort it's of an experimental piece oh. about, about really life and what it means to be human. Wow. Yeah, also Indeed. a bank robbery. Also a bank robbery. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, like mainly fun. a bank robbery. <laughs> Mostly a bank robbery. <laughs> anyway, should we move on? Let's do it. <laughs> oh, hey, Helen. Hey. How are you? Oh, I was in Glastonbury. You were in Glastonbury. Yes. I wasn't here last week because I was in Glastonbury. I was working. I'm not somebody who goes to festivals for a week just for fun. I was working in the Pilton Palais film tent. Mm-hmm. It was delightful. And I saw Lizzo and I saw Lauren Hill and oh. I saw some other people. That's and good. it was really good. And if people want to go and see you in the tent, they can go around this weekend and uh, uh, you'll be on from I, what time? Well, four, I, four to five? I feel bad in saying this, Chris, but the Glastonbury Festival has actually finished for another year. Wow. Um, so you have... Technically speaking, missed your shot completely. This might explain why a campsite was so cheap this weekend. I think that might explain it, yes. 
I mean, if, if it's any consolation, I'm sure the smell lingers on into this week. <laughs> we will always have the smell in our hearts. What is the smell like? It smells like uh, grass. Uh, and, smell like teen spirits? Fresh mowing grass and teen spirits yeah. and, and a lot of other spirits. Yes. Um, and a lot and of other grass, I, I, I presume as well. You know what? I did see somebody using drugs in front of me. <gasps> I was, a Glastonbury? I actually clutched my pearls. What? It was horrendous. No. I know. Ugh. I did have personally some cheesy garlic bread, which pretty much <laughs> changed my world. Did that so. change your perspective? Yeah, on, it really uh, did. I had tripped out on that cheesy garlic bread. It was Watching the great. sunrise did you at make, the stone circle yeah. with Whoa. your cheesy garlic bread. Oh, did you make Whoa. a citizen's arrest? You know what? I tried to alert security, but I was in the middle of the crowd. They were the ones doing the <laughs> no, anyway. to be clear, they were <laughs> be not. Absolutely. 110% clear. Anyway, you know those podcasts that go on for ages and ages and ages and ages. And don't ages get anywhere? And mm. don't get anywhere and then they just ramble and ramble and ramble. Should we have a question? <laughs> sure. Yes. This question comes from at Jamie Jevs, uh, who says, Hi guys, I'm getting married on Saturday. Oh, hey. that's nice. Well done. Congrats. Thank you. Oh, lovely. Wedding themed pod question. Your favorite wedding movies that people normally hate and the ones that you hate that everyone else loves. Now, Jamie, as our present to you and to your wife or husband, sure. um, we're not going to answer your question because it's rubbish. Wait. What we are going to do <laughs> is we're going to take a part of that question and focus in on that because I think that's what he really, really is asking here. What are our favorite wedding movies? And not this convoluted, what are your favorite wedding movies that everyone hates sure, and sure. vice versa. Mm-hmm. So let's go with favorite wedding movies and... Okay. Helena Hara. Helena Hara. Sure. Go. Go. I mean, obviously, for weddings and a funeral is up there. Nope. It is. And is it also, though? yes, it you is. You mean it's so much wedding for your money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, as a wedding movie. It's four goes. for the price of one, Chris. So <laughs> if you go, I've got 10 quid, I want a movie about a wedding, that's £2.50 per wedding. That's, I mean, you can't say further than that. This is and the bargain. funeral checked in. You, there would, for free. you would do well <laughs> to get a wedding for £2.50, I'll tell you. But also, I'm actually going to say uh, High Society because I love it and the music is great. Okay, good. I mean, the Philadelphia story is also good, amazing cast, but like High <laughs> yeah, Society yeah. has better tunes. So. What are the, why, why are those two films connected? I don't know quite. It's so weird that they're together in my head. It's yeah, almost like one is a musical remake of the other. It seems that way, hmm. but uh, surely not. Uh, ben? Seeing as you've mentioned musicals, the one that did spring into my mind was Mamma Mia, because oh, I flipping no. love Mamma Mia. But... And unironically as well, which is I, I, I love it. It's just so much fun. If you've never had a few drinks on a Friday night and watched Mamma Mia with your best friends, then you need to do that as soon as possible. But the thing with Mamma Mia is it's a wedding movie where they don't actually get married at the end. Spoiler. Spoilers for Mamma Mia. Yeah, but at the end, they're just like, actually, let's not get married while they're in the church. And they spent the whole time singing to get to the church. Mm-hmm. And Meryl Streep has climbed the biggest cliff after sing shouting at Pierce Brosnan, Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. and yet an hour and a half in they're like actually let's sack it off and they don't break up they stay together yeah but they just they? decide they just decide to go just travelling instead they decide yeah. they're too young to get married uh-huh. and they're just going to go travel instead yeah um, it's a very mature decision it is kinda. in a film well renowned for its maturity <laughs> so yeah I guess it has to be because everything around it is wedding themed mm. and it's all the ceremony that comes around a wedding except for the wedding itself um, I don't know if that technically counts in that case. Well, if that doesn't count, then it would be the wedding singer. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, wedding again, singer. lots of singing. Yeah. Lots of weddings. Lots of weddings. Again, Actually, lots of wedding for your money. That's mm-hmm. true. You might even get more in that than in... There might weddings. be more weddings in the wedding singer than for weddings in a funeral. There are, some of them are bar mitzvahs, I think. But there are no funerals. True. Is so, that a bonus in your head? I think it's a bonus. I don't, okay. I don't want to go to a funeral. Funerals okay. are boring. Yeah, they're true. 
It's just someone being lowered into the ground. No one wants to see that. But a wedding, that's an affirmation of love. Sure. No one gets lowered I mean, into the ground in a wedding. It depends if it's like experience. bride wars or something where they <laughs> very much true. are at least metaphorically lowered. Yeah. Helen, you were at my wedding. I was at your wedding. It was a very good wedding. You baked our wedding cake. I did. Oh, what flavour was it? Um, it was actually two different flavours. It was a chocolate cake with chocolate mm. ganache and then a lemon cake with um, lemon curd homemade. And then they were both covered in white chocolate Swiss meringue buttercream. It sounds tremendous. And it had Captain America's face on the top? On the or? top. <laughs> yeah. On the top, yes. And all around the mm-hmm. sides, yes. And where was America's ass? Well. <laughs> Nobody saw the bottom <laughs> of the cake, but it was there. It was there in, in, in our hearts. It's his Him. day. It's 4th of July. It's his day. It, it is. We, we are recording this. this, yeah. So happy birthday to Steve Rogers and to everyone else. And uh, so sorry about that Empire thing. And it, I don't mean the magazine or the podcast. That's mm. brilliant. The you British subscribe. one, you mean. I mean the British Empire. Yeah. And we're sorry, we're sorry about everything that, that happened. <laughs> Although it did ultimately lead to Hamilton. So... Can it really have bygones? Been that? Oh boy! <laughs> that's, All right, we'll call it a draw. That's a strong. That's that? a strong argument. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Wow! I mean, I can hear every historian in the world right now screaming. Apart from Jacob Rees-Mogg, who isn't one. I can what about hear Tom them all. Oh, Tom Holland would definitely not be with you on that. Yeah, because if you start screaming, you wouldn't be able to hear through the Spider-Man mask. <laughs> for one thing. So uh, yeah. Anyway, jokes. weddings. Yes, weddings. weddings. Ooh, I've got one. It happened one night. She elopes from her wedding at the start. She does. And then unelopes at the end, <laughs> only to re-elope, essentially, well, with speak- the new lover of her life. Okay, so here, here we have to des- define something, all right? Sure. So what is a wedding movie? Now, Four Weddings and a Funeral is clearly a wedding movie. The Wedding Singer is clearly a wedding movie. Mm-hmm. Table 19, which came out a couple of years ago. And that it was takes a good place. wedding movie. I liked that movie. Mm. I gave that four stars. I would recommend that. It is a, is a really, really strong movie. And that takes place entirely at a wedding. Mm. Rachel, get married. Really good mo- wedding movie. The mm-hmm. Wedding Planner, I think, is genuinely a massively underrated wedding movie. As rom-coms go, as classic rom-coms go, that is a superb Classic rom-com. Now that is... J-Lo and Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Wedding Crashers? Where do we stand at Wedding uh, Crashers? Again, God, I haven't seen lots that of so weddings. Long. Lots Possibly of weddings. more weddings than that than then, four weddings in a funeral. I think there's probably more weddings in Wedding Crashers, thanks to that montage, yep. than in The Wedding Singer. Hmm. I think hmm. the only thing I remember about Wedding Crashers is the funeral crasher. Oh, yeah, that's Will so Ferrell, bleak. right? That's right. Yeah, it's really <laughs> that's dark. the only thing I remember so four weddings and a funeral crasher. Yeah. Okay, uh, so I'm going to suggest The Godfather. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like literally the first what, half hour mm-hmm. of The Godfather revolves around a wedding. His daughter's wedding. His daughter's yeah. wedding. Look at Brazzy. <laughs> Shitting himself uh, about a speech. Bonacera coming to The Godfather and asking for a favour. Michael saying, that's my family, Kay. It's not me. Oh, Michael, if only you knew where you're going to end up at the end of the film looks like a fun wedding as well and when I was re-watching The Godfather recently I was kind of marvelling at the job Coppola does marshalling that and making it feel like something that is actually happening it's not it doesn't feel overly staged and it doesn't feel overly mm. cinematic in a way it feels like we've almost we're almost eavesdropping on a real uh, yeah. Italian American mm-hmm. wedding which is great it's also good. Italian food just oh, so much so food at the wedding mm. oh. hey also my big fat Greek wedding speaking of food yes yeah. Um, it's actually a really charming wedding movie. It is. Uh, and can we talk about wedding movies without mentioning Father of the Bride? Either. Yeah. Either. Either. Yeah. Uh, the Only one has Martin Short, though, being brilliant. Oh, yeah. As Franck. 
<laughs> Muriel's wedding? Yes. Although the wedding itself is very sad in that movie, actually. The wedding itself is a wedding of convenience um, so that a South African swimmer can swim for Australia by marrying Muriel, basically. And she is very much not his choice. And it is a sort of uh, loveless marriage. And she goes into it because she wants the big white wedding experience. And this is her way to have the big white wedding experience. And, you know, she grows up a little bit as the as the film goes on. I don't know if we can call it our best wedding movie because of that cynicism in it. How about, oh, here's, here's an iconic ending to a movie. The ending of Wayne's World 2, where Wayne gay crashes the <laughs> wedding of Tia Carrera and then they... They elope on a bus. On a bus. Mm, that's never. Been that's done a before. great yeah. original ending to a movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like such a bold and visionary way <laughs> yeah. to just do something that you feel like you've never seen on the big screen before. Yeah, yeah. Um, we should point out we are aware of the graduates. <laughs> yeah. case. People are yelling at us right now. Going, you idiots! Banging on the windows. Goddamn British Empire! <laughs> yes, the graduate. The graduate's an amazing ending. Uh, but I think if we're going to talk about any great. Wedding movies or any great weddings that take place in a movie, the conversation cannot be complete without mentioning Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer, (laughs) in which Reed Richards and Susan Storm try to get married and it keeps being interrupted. Yeah, that does have the best wedding crashers. Including Stan Lee basically yep. recreating his comic book attempt to crash their yes. wedding and yes. being thrown out on his ear. And uh, doesn't get interrupted by the Silver Surfer as well at one point. So I think it's I mean, the Silver Surfer interrupts the first time and then second time they're, they're in Japan and there's something else something comes happens, up. Something happens. Then they get married at the end. Don't they? Do they? No, because that's the Japanese one. Oh, and that's then the one that gets the... interrupted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would need to actually rewatch. I mean, is Fantastic it worth it? Fantastic Rise of the Silver Surfer to, to know that. Uh, so if you have, <laughs> if Tim Story, you're listening to this and you do know the answer <laughs> to this question, then do write in. But, uh, but hey, Jamie, Jamie Jevs, Jamie Evans on Twitter. Uh, we wish you all the best for your wedding. And we hope that you play this segment of the podcast out loud <laughs> at your wedding. Maybe as your vows. Yeah, please do not, Jamie, as our gift to you, play any of this at your wedding at all. In fact, nobody played this bit. That's probably best. It's probably best. Um, <laughs> if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, you can get in touch via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast as Jamie Jevs did. And look what happened. We're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine and we're on email as well. Podcast at empireonline.com. Time now for this week's movie news. And there has been a fair bit of it, I would say. Ooh, exciting. This week has been filled with news of Rob Marshall's The Little Mermaid, which is the latest live-action adaptation of a Disney animated classic. They need to come up with a better name for these movies because that's a real mouthful to say every single time. So it started with news that Melissa McCarthy had joined the film as Ursula, who is the main villain of the piece, of course. The sea witch. The sea witch. Then we had news that Aquafina and Jacob Tremblay have signed on to voice animated underwater creatures because even though it's live action, there's still mm-hmm. going to be a CG component when they go under the sea. Under, under yeah, the well, sea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jacob Tremblay is presumably flounder, right? He is flounder. He has to be. He's and got the little cheeks he's for got it. Little cheeks and Aquafina is? Sebastian? Scuttle. Scuttle the seagull. Scuttle the seagull. Mm, cool. So that's good. And then yesterday came news that Rob Marshall has found his Little Mermaid, he has found his Ariel, and she is Halle Bailey, who is one half of the Singing Sisters duo known as Chloe X Halle. Ben, you're into popular music. Mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Is it Times Halle? Is it Chloe X Halle? 
Do you I know? honestly have no idea. Get I, out, this ben. makes me feel old because I've I've never heard of Chloe X Halley, hmm. whatever they're called. But yeah, this seems like a really good choice. Yeah. I um having seen the news come out and gone, I actually don't know who this person is, went and did some looking and her voice is absolutely incredible. Her voice is extraordinary. And that is what you actually need for The Little Mermaid. I will also say that her smile is 100% like the cartoon. Like, I don't want to, you know, be shallow about this, but she looks exactly like Ariel's smile. It's It's genuinely weird. She's gorgeous. She can sing. I mean... I'm not sure what else you need. And I think also, like, having just seen Aladdin with leads who are beautiful, but at least one of them wasn't that great, a singing voice. What? I'm saying it. Who? Um, Which one? Uh, Aladdin. No. I mean, you know, he was fine, but he wasn't like the big Broadway voice that you maybe want for the that role. And it's the same with this one. I think you need a great, great <laughs> singer. I'm Like, to the point where even Melissa McCarthy, I don't know... Her singing that well? Oh, I'm sure she can sing. Oh, I'm sure she can, but like Ursula, like, Poor Unfortunate Souls is an amazing song. She needs to nail that on the wall. And so it's really important that, you know, The Little Mermaid can sing. Ariel has to be able to sing. Absolutely. This news has, of course, upset the racist dickheads. Yeah, well, which is nice. I mean, of course it has. But, I mean, everyone who is taking against this, like... There, it's brought out all the usual like what if we race flipped this character and it's like no there's it's never been set in stone that this particular character has to be of any particular ethnicity I mean, she's a mermaid got, dude she's a mermaid and it's not like there is a cultural specificity <laughs> to this yeah. story obviously a cartoon mermaid, cartoon mermaid. <laughs> i mean obviously it comes from the hans christian anderson mm-hmm. sort of danish tradition but the I did, story itself i did see one valid criticism which suggests that only danish characters should play in this movie and that we should have nicolas costa waldau as prince eric <laughs> and wait for it mads mickelson as ariel now that i would i would have some sympathy for that argument apart from that argument i have no sympathy for this criticism mm-hmm. but please carry on yeah it just feels like the, the whole point is that there is no sort of specific cultural background for this character in fact a lot of the songs have like that Caribbean feel you think mm-hmm. of something like Under mm-hmm. the Sea mm-hmm. it just it, it makes sense and it, it means that more people are going to see themselves represented on the screen everyone who loves the original Little Mermaid is still going to be on board for this but it's going to make it especially relevant and engaging for a whole group of people who rarely see themselves as this like princess character absolutely we, we should point out that in case people haven't seen this news uh, that Halle Bailey is African American and so that is why the racist dickheads are upset nuts, and yeah. laughable idiots uh, someone on Twitter said that uh, whenever I was growing up I'm, I'm a white girl uh, and I had red hair and this was incredible for me seeing Ariel on the big screen because all the mean jokes suddenly fell flat mm. and uh, people were suddenly admiring my hair and it was amazing and I felt Great. I'm paraphrasing wildly here. Mm. And I want young black girls to have that same experience now with this Ariel as I did with my Ariel back in, when was it, 1992? 1989. No. Yep. No. It came out here in 1990. Get out of town. I will not. Wow. It was the very start of the Disney Renaissance. It was when they brought over Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. It's when they gave Musker and Clements their head to just, you know, mm-hmm. bring back classic Disney, basically. It was it was the start of everything that followed. Without this, you don't get Beauty and the Beast, you don't get The Lion King, you don't get any of the good ones in the 90s, Pocahontas, any of them. When you say that Disney gave Musker and Clements their head, was that Walt's 
Severed That's frozen head. That's not what severed frozen head. Sorry, I mean room to work with. Oh, okay. Yes, it's, it's such an easy mistake. The room that they're yeah. working in is the room where Walt Disney is again, frozen. Is again not the cryogenic no. chamber. Oh, okay. No. Is it Which, true that frozen is actually about Walt Disney? Again, no. It is not, not, no. But yeah, fair play as well to Rob Marshall for going into this with an open mind and uh, this exhaustive casting process. He actually has a, a quote here. There was a statement released yesterday. Halley possesses that rare combination of spirit, heart, youth, innocence and substance plus a glorious singing voice, all intrinsic qualities necessary to play this iconic role, he said. And so fair play to him for uh, feeling that he could think outside the box. Mm. I mean, it gives this project a bit more of a reason to exist as well. Like for me, the Disney live action remakes that work best are the ones that Go provide a slightly different yeah. spin. I like. I really like Dumbo. I really like The Jungle Book. Um, uh, Cinderella whereas, as well, far different from the original. Yeah, whereas Aladdin and Beauty for the, and the Beast for me, it was just too much of a carbon yeah. copy. So like, I'm yeah. all for a different take that also is inherently Disney princess mm. live action. And I guess now that Classic. we've seen Aquaman, we know that they there is something to do with having live action underwater scenes that can work. You yeah, know? I'm, I'm intrigued I was worried about to see how they do the underwater singing because in, in Aquaman that never quite <laughs> sat right for me. The sort yeah. of you can see that they are in water and around water, but they were just talking. Yeah. I don't know. It, it always felt a bit off to me. Yeah, the, so the, the, yeah. see what they do. Here. The way they addressed it in Aquaman was to not address it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Just like, I mean, like many things in Aquaman, it worked best when you don't <laughs> think about it. Including the uh, is it the octopus playing drums or the squid playing drums? I can never remember what it is, and I, I apologize to uh, cephalopods everywhere for getting that wrong. <laughs> um, there'll be furiously writing in with their six or eight tentacles. Eight um, or ten, isn't it? Is it eight or ten? Oh, I've got that wrong as well. <laughs> fuck's sake. Anyway, very very exciting. But also, there is another search going on right now for a an actor who can sing and who can act and who can look good as well, and that is Baz Luhrmann's search mm. for an Elvis. Presley because his next film is an Elvis biopic of sorts in which Tom Hanks has already signed on to play Colonel Tom Parker. Now, if you don't know Elvis necessarily, Colonel Tom Parker was Elvis's manager uh, right from the, the beginning of his career all the way through pretty much until the end and perhaps didn't always have Elvis's best interest at heart. That's the way I'm gonna. That's yeah, the way I'm gonna right. say it. So Tom Hanks is on board to play Colonel Tom Parker, and apparently the search for an Elvis has narrowed down to five people. Now I'm gonna give you these five names. You tell okay. me what you think. Okay. Number one is Ansel Elgort. Do you know what he could kind of look the part? He's I think kind almost, of got that slightly cocky swagger to him. Yeah, and there's something about the mouth that kind of works. I don't know. He hasn't quite happened yet. I feel like there have been films that promised to make him happen, and he hasn't quite happened. Stop trying to make Ansel Elgort happen. Yeah, there's a little bit of that going on. But at the same time, that's not to say that he won't get that film, because it has taken other stars much longer to kind of break through. And of course, so, he's doing West Side Story right now for the, for yeah. the, yeah. the, the, the Spielberg. So clearly, he can click his fingers in time. That's, that's good. <laughs> Stands him a good stead for Elvis, but clearly he's got something about him. Yeah. Uh, okay. Aaron Taylor Johnson. Now, I read one report that said it was down to four, and Taylor Johnson's name was not on there. Mm-hmm. But I read another report that said there were five people still in running, and his name was on there. Shouldn't having played John Lennon disqualify him? No. I mean, no disrespect, no. but, you know. <laughs> because you can do this thing where you can actually have a film about the meeting of the Beatles with the time when they met Elvis, Whoa. and you have Aaron Taylor Johnson playing Elvis and Whoa. John Lennon. Whoa. Blow my mind, mm. dude. Absolutely. I, I would be there for that all day Into long. Into the Beatles-verse. <laughs> I don't know. How old is Aaron Taylor Johnson? Because he's been around forever. 
So but he came, he, but he started he very still, young. He, he started like really young, late twenties, early thirties. Mm. Now, okay. right? So I don't really know when this is this is focusing this, this biopic, but you'd imagine that it's probably Elvis's early days, given mm-hmm. the youth of the people involved. Aaron Taylor Johnson, I think, yes. And as we he discussed on the Empire podcast with us, Helen, that he can he can play a bit of piano. He can. He can, yeah, he can he's very play musical a bit guy. Of instruments. He was very good in Nowhere Boy. Oh yeah, I'm um, no, a sort of mythical, yeah, yeah, yeah. like musical icon. I'm bringing a bit of humanity. I'm going to say maybe the best actor on this list, but anyway, Ooh. we'll get we'll get to it. There is one I don't really know. Hmm. Number three, Harry Styles. I mean, you know, he would get bums on seats, and he can sing. He also has quite bouffant hair. He does. Mm. He really does. So, I mean, three strong strikes uh, for him there. I don't know. I, I see his career going in one direction. I don't really. <laughs> I don't know. There I don't. I don't know if he has the the swagger to play the king of rock and roll. And hey, that's what makes him beautiful. But. <laughs> I'm running out really rapidly. <laughs> yeah. uh, number four on the list is... Story of his life. <laughs> number four on the list is the human Fitbit, Miles Teller. <laughs> I mean, he's the one that when you look at his face, you go, oh, you are very Elvisy, actually. Is he, though? Is he <laughs> and, uh, you, we In look that, at the eyes <laughs> and, and a nose and there is no, a above his mouth. Look, if, he's not un-Elvisy. I'm, I'm, I think like, he's yeah. the most, like... Surface level Elvisy of the bunch. Okay, we know that he can keep beat without rushing or dragging. So that's. <laughs> I mean, do we? Because he rushed and dragged a lot. Yeah, but by the end, okay, okay. he was he was on it. He was on. He was that was just his tempo. Also, he kind of has that. I, he is a really good actor in the right thing. He's amazing in Whiplash. That film was so good. Mm. But he also has that slightly cocky, douchebaggy energy that if you're gonna have that sort of Dude. rock and roll swagger. Yeah. But I think he could bring that to it. But I don't know if he can sing. I've never heard him singing any, anything. Apparently, apparently he can. Apparently all five people on the on the shortlist have proven mm-hmm. their singing credentials elsewhere. He, yeah, I'm, mm, okay. Yeah. Well, he might yeah. bring his uh, his his M- MDE, his I, massive dick energy to it. Who knows? <laughs> I, wow. Um, again, like Aaron Taylor-Johnson, <laughs> I, I feel like he's at the older end of the spectrum. Yes. So again, that might be a factor in terms of what right. story they want to tell. If it's early days Elvis and going into the army Elvis, he might be a little bit older for that. Number five is the only real unknown on the list. He he will be seen next week in The Dead Don't Die with uh, from Jim mm-hmm. Jarmusch. And he's going to be in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. But other than that, I don't know him. He is Austin Butler. Yeah, so he's got a very small role in The Dead Don't Die, but he's not bad in it. He was quite good in The Carrie Diaries, which was the Sex and the City prequel series. <laughs> Genuinely, not kidding. It's like <laughs> the early days of Carrie. Um, he's he's all right. He looks like an Elvis as well, and he's younger than the others, maybe. So yeah, he's not a bad shite. He is quite Elvisy looking, actually. He's Here's got where... a lot of swagger in, in Dead Don't Die. Okay. Here's where I am. Okay. Shut it down now. None of these five people. They're they're all great in their own way, mm. but they, they, they Elvis was Elvis, guys. But do you know what? I was just thinking about this the other day, and I can't remember why, but I was just thinking about how Baz Luhrmann is actually underrated. Baz Luhrmann does crazy shit, and it somehow works. Baz Luhrmann convinces Netflix to spend like $100 million on uh, this TV show about the birth of hip hop. Yeah. He does stuff that shouldn't work and, and probably shouldn't be allowed and is completely crazy. And it's kind of amazing. And so his Elvis, I'm kind of here for in a way that I wouldn't be for most people's Elvis. I'm here for it, yes. But I, uh, it's so weird because we've just had these conversations, obviously, about Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman and yeah. how closely Taron Edgerton resembled Elton John and how intentionally he did the sound like Elton John. And I was totally fine with that. And it was great. But Elvis is Elvis. 
and Elvis is one of the the most charismatic. Go back and look at pictures of young Elvis. Jesus. Yeah, he's he's like Marlon Brando level of charisma. It's incredible. I don't know. I don't know. I I do think that there is an actor out there who can absolutely nail the swagger and the looks and everything and the confidence of young Elvis Presley. And that actor is Kurt Russell. And... (laughs) And his time has passed, unless, of course, they're willing to to go full Lola and de-age him, <laughs> like they did for Guardians too. That would also be acceptable. I would I would be on board if Baz Luhrmann <laughs> announced tomorrow that Kurt Russell is playing Elvis. <laughs> I would be absolutely one hundred. We've just decided there. to add two hundred million dollars to the budget. <laughs> <laughs> Worth every penny. But no, listen, I think, I don't know, of the, of the five, I wouldn't be surprised if Ansel Elgort ends up getting that. But the only thing that worries me about that would be his scheduling with West Side Story. Mm-hmm. But, you know, hey, that's not for us to work out. Indeed. Okay, so uh, excited to see what Baz cooks up with that movie. There were a couple of trailers this week that caught my eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed to be a bit of a trailer week, actually. First trailer that so caught my eye. Is this, is this going to be like, are you going to take this trailer apart? Is it Knives Out, Chris? Is that what you're saying? It is indeed Knives Out, Helen, as you so correctly say, for Jumanji, the next level, (laughs) which is the first trailer that came this week. And uh, I thought, I'm only kidding about the Knives Out thing, because I thought this looks terrific. Yeah, it really does. I'm very, very here for Jumanji once again being back and being ridiculous. And and The Rock this time being Danny DeVito inside, which is going to be, if anything, even more fun than last time, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great sort of twist on the on the body swap formula thing right because the, the thing that was great about the last jumanji was a nobody really had any expectations for it yep. b it made a lot of use in the script of the rules of video games but also had this sort of fun and silliness of a body swap comedy mm-hmm. and at the end of it you go well i've seen that now so if you're going to do that again what's the twist on that going to be and as soon as that moment came in the trailer we all um, stood around chris's computer watching it in the office and we all started like howling when it was devito in the rock and mm. danny glover in kevin hart feels mm. it seems like kevin hart brings the biggest laughs in this trailer mm. he is yes. really really on it with yeah. with this okay so in case people haven't seen the trailer uh cuz i was worried about this when they brought back the original kids from the first movie when Jake Kasdan and co brought back the original kids from the from I say it keeps in the first movie but the last movie there was another movie called Jumanji the previous movie <laughs> the previous yeah. movie the previous movie Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle I was like oh because I thought they could have gone in different directions with it when they started casting Danny DeVito and Danny Glover I thought well I hope that they would end up somehow in the avatars of mm-hmm. can we remember their names Smolder Bravestone Dr. Smolder Bravestone Dr. Smolder Bravestone Ruby Roundhouse Ruby Roundhouse Moose Finbar Oh, very good. And Dr. Shelley Oberon. Very good. If anyone can remember the name of Nick Jonas's character, then you get an extra <laughs> bonus point because um, I cannot no, remember. I can't that one. That. Anyway, I really, really liked the first film. If you go and look up the review on EmpireOnline.com, you'll see I gave it three stars. It's one of my big regrets mm. in my life. So let's bump that up. Let's give it a fourth star right, right here, right now. Uh, really, really great family film. But I, I was worried that it was just going to retread the same ground. But I was hoping that it would be Danny Glover and Danny DeVito in the bodies of two of the avatars. And I thought it might be a whole bunch of old people in their bodies. Mm-hmm. It's not quite that. So the story seems to be the Spencer, played by Alex Wolf this time, maybe has gone a little bit dark, possibly, or has been estranged from his friends after the end of the last movie and is a, become a bit of a Jumanji junkie mm. and has engineered a way back 
into the game. I mean, he wants to be The Rock again. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Mm. Absolutely. Who wouldn't want to spend a weekend in The Rock? <laughs> Alcatraz is lovely this time of year, of course. <laughs> Welcome to The Rock. Uh, then his friends go back in after him. They choose to go back in, but they haven't chosen their characters. And so when they end up in Jumanji, Martha, the Karen Gillan avatar character, Ruby Roundhouse, thinks that Spencer is once again in Dr. Smolder Bravestone. But he isn't. He's actually Danny DeVito, who is Spencer's uncle or grand- uncle, un- grandfather. I think grandfather, isn't he? He says uncle at one point, doesn't Does he? he? But oh. Yeah, I think grandfather. And uh, Danny Glover, who is uh, one of his friends, is also in the body of Kevin Hart. And Kevin Hart, even more so, I think, than Jack Black in the first movie, seems to be committing to just basically doing a Danny Glover impression. Mm-hmm. And everything he said in the trailer made me laugh. Yeah. And that last bit where they do the smoldering face for Dr. Smolder Bravestone. And he's like, he's having a heart attack. His whole left side is shutting down every <laughs> single time. May piss myself laughing. Not literally, not literally. I have to make that clear. But Thank you so much uh, for I did, that I did clear. laugh a lot. The, and uh, I'm the very excited. Eagle sound effect when yes. uh, when he turns on the smolder <laughs> really kills me as well. It's just perfect comic timing. It's yeah. so, good. so great. And uh, it looks like more of the same, only more so. Mm. Yeah, and the next level. Hints of um, Aquafina is in the cast. Yes. Presumably, she's in a big sort of snowy landscape. So yeah. presumably, she's another avatar in the game because you've got the two older guys now also in the game. Surely there needs to be more avatars to keep all the younger kids. In. Precisely, because we've got two who are displaced at the moment. Mm-hmm. So we have Spencer. We don't know where he is, and we he have Bethany. He could be Nick Jonas, who's back in it as well. Mm. He, uh, precisely. So mm. we see Nick Jonas. We see Aquafina, and I'm guessing he's Nick Jonas. I'm guessing that the first person to go into the game always becomes the Nick Jonas character. That's right. my that makes feeling. Sense. Yeah. And then Aquafina, these are all guesses. Mm. I'm guessing will be the Bethany character. Uh, but you know, I'm excited about this. Uh, again, add an extra star to the to the uh, to the first movie, and uh, I'm in a generous mood. Add an extra star as well. So that's ten stars for Jumanji: <laughs> Welcome to the Jungle. And uh, very very excited about Jumanji: The Next Level. I'm also very excited, guys, mm-hmm. about Knives Out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um. Is it Chris Evans? Uh, very much. Moving on from Captain America. Um, I think it's fair <laughs> to say. That's a deleted scene from Endgame. <laughs> um, a fantastic cast. Like, even seeing it down on paper, you don't kind of get how good this cast is. And then yeah. you you watch it and it's, you know, Daniel Craig turning up with um, Lakeith Stanfield to investigate, right? Mm-hmm. Sold already. And then it turns out that the entire family is made up of amazing actors. And um, Daniel Craig, uh, obviously playing a sort of southern gentleman by the name of Benoit Blanc. Oh, what a great yeah, character that's a good name. Title name. So yes, the the story is of, that Christopher Plummer is a rich patriarch. I mean, typecasting there mm-hmm. uh, after various other roles in the same genre uh, has been murdered, and no. some member of his family is Who's done suspect. It? One of his family, it seems. So they're all suspects. Ooh. Jamie Lee Curtis is in Jamie this. Jamie Lee well. Curtis looks great. What a badass! So this is the uh, the latest movie from Ryan Johnson, and this feels like the. Although he would say that The Last Jedi was one for him as well, but this mm. feels like the one for me after the one for them mm. of The Last Jedi. And uh, I, I had tremendous fun with this. Mm. Chris Evans' character, according to IMDb, is called Ransom Robinson. I don't, know how, I don't know how true that is, but uh, he appears to be some sort of dilettante, some sort of, I don't know, some wastrel. sort of... Wastrel. Wastrel, mm. yeah. Some, a a, a grade-A dickhead. Is, yeah. yeah. He's got some MDE going on. Definitely. So <laughs> I think he does. You're obsessed with MDE today. I'm slightly worried about that. Well, I've introduced the concept. I want to usurp BDE. You know. It's even bigger than BDE. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Anna de Armas is in it as well. Michael Shannon, he, he almost certainly did it. Uh, Tony Gillette. Uh, <laughs> no, that's Catherine too obvious. Langford. You can't have Michael Shannon do it. He has to turn out to be an angel at the end, you know? That's true. Don Johnson. But, ah, but then that's what they'd be expecting us to think, right? Oh. Yeah, the old double bluff. So it is Michael Shannon all along. Jaden Martell, it's a really, really great cast and it looks like a really fun twist. It says the, the tagline is a whodunit as no one's ever done it. So that's Ooh. fun because it, yeah, it looks fairly straight down the middle. Mm-hmm. It looks yeah. very arch and comedic in the in the trailer, but it doesn't look like there's anything in here that's going to take yeah, us by but, surprise. But Ryan Johnson doesn't do not surprising. So. Precisely. Mm. I like that they're selling it as a Ryan Johnson whodunit because obviously he's written and directed. This is his original project, and on the poster, it's very it's kind of framed mm. nicely over the um, magnifying glass. Maybe this is finally the whodunit I've been waiting my entire life to see. Mm-hmm. which is the one where the great detective who comes in to solve the case is actually the killer. Like, we all know Jessica Fletcher done it. I mean, come on, nobody <laughs> happens along to that many murder scenes. Like, she's <laughs> got to be a mass mm-hmm. serial killer. Maybe that is Daniel Craig's character in this. You think? Yeah, I think I've blown this thing wide open. Okay. Maybe it's Chris Evans. Like, maybe this is his absolute, you know, sort of anti-Captain America role. I think I think Chris Evans, I don't know. Do you I think, think Chris Evans is going to die as well. I, I think he's going to die. This yeah. is, this, do you think this is one of those things where it's a bit like something like a death in the Nile or like a, just a general episode of Morse where the suspects start getting bumped off one by one? Yes. So you think that people like Chris Evans might not make it to the end? I think he might not make it to the end. There is a huge circle of knives that Mm. features prominently in the trailer. So if those aren't ending up in people's backs or Mm. kind of... Almost certainly backs, I think, in this family. Yeah, lots of backstabbing. Mm. I think I know who did it. Are you going to say Michael Shannon? Tim Curry. (laughs) Depends which ending you watch. (laughs) Anyway, that was exciting. Anything else, guys, that you were excited about? Yes, Sandman. Oh! Yeah, there is extremely good news for Sandman fans which is fun to say, uh, this week, which is that Sandman is finally coming to screens, but it is coming, as it should, as a TV series on Netflix rather than squished into a film format, which would be disastrous for that story. Now, people who haven't read Sandman, it is almost impossible to sum up, but it's a Neil Gaiman comic from uh, started in the very end of the 80s, I think, but went into the 90s. And it's about a character called Dream of the Endless. So he and his siblings are the sort of personification of ideas. So the eldest is destiny, then death, then dream, then the twins, desire and despair, then uh, delirium, who was once delight and then went mad, and then destruction. Um, So they are the seven endless and they are, you know, giant beings, more powerful than gods. But as the story begins, Dream is locked up for 70 years. He's captured by a magician, locked away, and consequences follow from that. People go mad with sleeping sickness. Um, there's there's kind of weird stuff going on all around the world. And also, he finally escapes. So he finally escapes, has to basically win back his kingdom, and also face a sort of existential dilemma, I guess, mm-hmm. in a weird way. But what's interesting about this, and what makes it so hard to sum up and explain, is the fact that Dream is essentially the god of stories as well. He's not god, but he's beyond gods, you know. He's the force behind stories. So the whole thing becomes a meditation on stories and on dreams and on what makes us human and on what dreaming is and what Mm -hmm. dreaming means. And it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. Mm -hmm. And it's a story with that Gaiman began with his end in mind. Now, he, you know, there's lots and lots of tangents along the way. I have no idea how they're going to deal with those, even in a TV show. I feel like this is almost going to be an anthology show where 
Dream is a character in the background of some stories and, and many of the stories mm-hmm. in the books are not really about him. There are cameos from DC characters as well. Cameos, yeah. And... Constantine and Batman are in there. But it's Which you really... can't do here. Yeah. T- uh, Kim yeah. Newman is also in there, actually. Kim Newman. Kim Newman. Actual Kim Newman wow. of Our this parish. Kim Newman. Is in the comic book of Sandman. It's I crazy. don't know if he'll be in the TV show. <laughs> um, but it is, it's a wonderful, wonderful, mind-bending, mind-blowing series uh, that takes in mythology of numerous countries around the world and of cats like genuinely there's a bit that looks at the dreams of cats it's but not the musical cats not the musical not cats okay. thank for a God. second I was like I'm out you, yeah, you've no, lost me no I would never um, it's incredible and I am super hyped to see it so this is David S. Goyer and Neil Gaiman himself are among the showrunners along with is Alan yeah Alan Heinberg is Heinberg, the showrunner yeah, is the showrunner Gaiman and Sorry, our executive producers. I mean, hopefully Gaiman being involved himself here is a good move, right? Because um, I just watched the Good Omens TV show, Mm -hmm. which was um, really enjoyable, and he was extremely hands-on with that. Yeah. Whereas I really liked the first season of American Gods, but then when all the switcheroos with all the different showrunners started happening, I just, I couldn't get back into it. Yeah, Um, I think this one is going to be less um, whimsical than Good Omens, mm because a lot of that kind of tone and that whimsy came from the Terry Pratchett influence I think this is a more serious affair in many ways although there is a lot of comedy in it as well but yeah I think I hope that they take something from that success and take something from the areas where American Gods has fallen down which is Mm -hmm. that I think you need to commit to this and that's going to be a tough ask because it is going to be a very expensive show to make well but they need to commit to getting to the end um, I think that's really, really important. They can take as many sort of diversions along the way as they want, but they should commit to getting to the end. So I would almost film the sort of spine of the series first and then fit in as many tangents as you want along the way. That's a tricky thing, isn't it? Because mm. Preacher, for example, is coming to an end before exactly. it's really explored every tangent of the comic book. But yeah, I, I think they'll probably will commit to, to that over at Netflix. And also while we're on the subject of... TV shows and large streaming companies bankrolling them to a large extent. The Lord of the Rings TV show yes. mm. has uh, it's been announced this week that J.A. Bayona uh, is going to direct the first two episodes of the series and set the visual and tonal template for what comes next. Yeah, I mean, while still being of the opinion that we don't need it and we should adapt something else instead that we haven't seen, I'll still totally watch it because, you know... Talking fangirl over here, so yeah. I mean, Bayona's an amazing director. I really rate him. I think it will just be fascinating as somebody who's only ever visualized Middle Earth through the lens of Peter Jackson to just see another filmmaker put their stamp on it. And I guess interesting as well that you had um, Peter Jackson coming from that horror background and kind of moving across fantasy. And obviously, Bayona has done fancy stuff before in terms of like a monster calls, but he he comes from that horror tradition yeah. with, with the orphanage, and he has also brought that side of his filmmaking to the other projects that he's been involved in. So mm. I'm fascinated to see what his Middle Earth looks like, and you want it to look a bit different, but also not too different mm. from the Peter Jackson one. It's also going to film in New Zealand that was announced this week that uh, they did consider the UK. Mm-hmm. Someone actually said that Brexit was a major factor in the decision not to film over here so mm-hmm. well done everybody mm-hmm. and uh, but yeah it's, it's going to be filming in New Zealand so therefore it's going to have some of the feel and I guess they'll they'll actually want to continue that that visual continuity yeah. which is an inelegant sentence but but there you go you can't have everything a uh, couple of last things before we wrap up and move on to this week's guest and then the movie review section Paul Rudd Woo-hoo! has joined Ghostbusters mm. 2020 that's not what the movie is going to be called but that's just the shorthand for right now 
you see this announcement last week where he was... You were in Glastonbury, weren't you? I was you? at Glastonbury, you know. So, yeah, he filmed himself outside Hook and Ladder 8 in New York and then said, I am enjoying Ghostbusters. I mean, that's the, hard to argue with because he is like a little puppy and wants to go to space. So, <laughs> Is he going to be related to Finn Wolfhard's character? Because they have a bit of a similar... I don't know. Well, I, they I have imagine eyes Phil, and a Phil nose, which is a symbol <laughs> above a, a mouth. I mean, they both have black hair. That's basically okay. it. But yeah. I could see those two being related in some way. I don't know. Sure. Apparently he's going to play a teacher. So okay. I imagine maybe he is going to get involved with Carrie Coon at some point. And, mm-hmm. you know, but he seems like the, sort of, the right sort of fit, mm-hmm. I yeah. think. You know, he's got this sort of loose goose improvisational style. He's Half. super likable. Yeah, super likable. Yeah. So he's yeah. also well versed in kind of actiony stuff as well, yeah. and bringing comedy yeah. to action. Yeah, excited about that. Also excited about Drew Pierce, who has got a movie coming out on Netflix. Uh, well, it won't, it'll come out once he's uh, filmed it <laughs> and edited it and got it ready. But it's called Quartermaster, and he's going to be writing and directing. And Mark Platt will produce, and it's a it's a high concept thriller. That's all we know about that's it right now. That's all we have. Yeah, that's all we have. But, so uh, Quartermaster is the guy who parcels out supplies for the army, right? That's correct. So it's going to be a thriller about a guy with supplies. Like what some of his tallies don't He's add up. Guy, and he has to go on a quest. Supplies. He has to go on a quest to find the missing So there's a high concept. Didn't say the concept was good, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be great. It'll be great. It'll be good. It'll be good. In Drew Pierce, we trust. Yeah, we do. And uh, we should talk about the fact that the biggest movie of all time. Avatar. Remains Avatar. Mm. Mm. Because last week's assault on the number one spot by Avengers Endgame where they <laughs> augmented the release, mm-hmm. shall we say, of Avengers Endgame. They put it into more cinemas across the world and they added, I mean, wow. Yeah. Talk about talk about packing a punch. Whew. Did you go, Helen? I, I did. I, I went, yeah. So basically there was a very, very short introduction from one Russo brother because they apparently couldn't get both, which seems like, you know, it was kind I, of... I've met them both. You've met them both. You I've know that both. They, they come as a pair, they right? They do come as yeah. a pair. So it's it's weird that they literally, I mean, pretty literally half-assed it, let's be honest. Um, and then at the very end, you get a lovely, genuinely lovely tribute to Stan Lee yeah. um, with footage, sort of behind-the-scenes footage of practically all his cameos. And it's, it's genuinely moving mm-hmm. and, and delightful. But it's short, but genuinely delightful. Then they have... A deleted scene, it's a post-viz scene, so it's kind of unfinished effects. It's Mm -hmm. deliberately kind of blocky, quick-to-render effects. I I don't know if we can talk about that as a spoiler. We can maybe talk about it more when we do the Spider-Man spoiler podcast. What do you think? I guess we can, but let's just say it was, it is the... It's Hulk-focused. It's the, well, yeah, okay. Can we say that? <laughs> I was going to say it's the alternate introduction of a character in the film, but I wasn't going to say who it was, but yeah, it's a Hulk. And it's a fun scene. It's and a very it fun scene. it features... Reginald Phil Johnson from Die Hard. I know. Playing a very Die Hardy role. That was very fun. That was fun. I can see why they cut it. It wasn't finished yes, for one wasn't. Thing. Yeah, it wasn't necessary. <laughs> but yeah, I can understand why they cut it. And then they basically go into the first minute and a half, two minutes of Spider-Man Far I'd From Home. I'd say 45 seconds, but yeah. Okay. It's not a lot. And I genuinely feel like what would have got fans excited and what genuinely might have helped them overtake Avatar is if they... I'm talking literally in a room had Bucky and Sam hanging out for two minutes or had Peter talking to Morgan for two minutes. Genuinely, I feel like that would have been enough for people to get excited and go to this film. Yeah. But they couldn't even quite manage that. Oh, shame on them. Shame. 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 Chris and I were talking about this earlier in the week that it, to me it felt a bit 
slightly mistimed that obviously we'll get into this but spider-man far from home is set post endgame and it kind of deals with the aftermath of endgame but it really doesn't feel at all like endgame has left and i think Mm. that actually there might be a little bit of a another push to see endgame again after having people have had a chance to see far from home had a little bit more distance and then you do it as a full-on re-release of like oh it's kind of been and gone and you've seen spider-man now but like come on endgame was amazing and you want to see all the stuff that leads into (laughs) come on it was amazing come on come on on. you will you will you will you will you will go on go on the mrs doyle cuss that'd be amazing (laughs) that'd be incredible just wearing those down maybe they feel like they're not quite far enough down the line with these um, Disney Plus shows, but yep. if you know, if you had a couple of little deleted scenes, I mean, look, Gardens of the Galaxy Volume Two had what five scenes during the end credits. Mm-hmm. If they had done that with this, mm-hmm. they would have been past Avatar. Okay, so it would have been more expensive, but they would have been past Avatar. Still a fun experience going back and watching it again. Yeah. That was that, that was fun. Um, I have slight quibbles with uh, the the package, mm-hmm. so to speak. But what is interesting is that it still isn't there in terms of the box office. It's twenty seven million. This was on Monday, so it might have inched ever closer sure. say 20 let's call it 26.5 million dollars behind avatar uh which is 2.788 billion i think at the moment so it's really 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 close mm. and there were some box office prognosticators all of whom including you know me if if i can call myself that uh have been proven wrong by this because whenever it opened to 1.2 billion i was like oh it's definitely gonna it's gonna be the first three billion dollar movie it's gonna blow past avatar i never thought this would happen oh amazing days but we're dealing with something truly unprecedented here because where do you go from a 1.2 billion dollar opening the only way to go is down and it has slowed down really really quickly i mean it's still been 10 weeks in cinemas which is not bad by any fantastic and it's done 2.7 billion dollars again not bad What's interesting is this $27 billion behind Avatar. I didn't know this until this week, that Avatar's total actually contains $33 million from its re-release. So therefore, if I just enter some numbers into the computer here, uh carry the three, hold the two, there's a, hold that, boobies, that's weird. Uh, Avengers Endgame's winner by $6 million. But but Avengers Endgame also includes a... I guess it's not technically a it's re-release. It's not technically a Is re-release. Yeah, oh not God. technically a re-release. So, oh boy. there you go. Okay, fine. Always bet on Thanos. That's what I say. So Is there that you what go. you say? I, I, How you many go times back... have you seen Endgame and you're still betting on Thanos? <laughs> <laughs> Do you need to go and see it again? It's like the I mean, goes wrong. Marvel I keep, I keep going back, so. hoping that this time is the time they get it right. And maybe this time is the time that Thanos realizes that everything he needed was right there. The love of his two daughters. And he didn't oh. need to do all this gauntletty stuff. He just needed to, to settle down in that cottage, making them stew. And just, you know, having Nebula and Gamora just be awesome and independent people. Come on, Thanos. Hey, we should probably do some reviews at some point. Or okay, have a guest yeah. or something. Let's do both of those things. Hey, cool. Let's have a guest, and then we'll talk about reviews. So this week's guest is, and not for the first time on the podcast, I believe, in fact, I know, because he was one of our guests on the live show, the very first live show I think we did. Was it episode 100? So there you go. He's back again. Hooray! Will Poulter. We love Will Poulter here. And this week, he returns as one of the stars of Ari Aster's Midsommar. Midsommar. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Um, Uh, It's open to interpretation. Uh, Midsummer, which is a incredibly well, we won't spoil the review. I haven't yep. seen it, but I hear it. it's an incredibly brilliant, very gory, very shocking horror movie set in Sweden. And Will Poulter is one of the characters who goes to Sweden to take part in 
a festival and bad things happen. Should we, is, that, is, that, is that fair? I think that's fair. I yes. don't think any of that is a spoiler. Okay, so there you go. So here is Will Poulter talking to Ben Trapp. Ben? Yeah, it was hey. me. In Hello. this very booth yeah. today. What are you talking about? What did you talk about? Uh, we talked about his reaction to, I don't know, getting on board with the film. He went to Clasto. We talked a bit about his trip yeah. to Glastonbury. Apparently, nobody was brutally murdered, so that's good. Yep. I um, see that as an absolute win. Mm. Yeah. He also went to Wimbledon this week. Oh, I turned on, on Wimbledon and, and, and there he was in the stands and right. like Midsummer had conditioned me to be worried when I saw Will mm. Poulter and Grass together so it was yes. scary. Fantastic. Here we go. Will Poulter talking to Ben Travis. Do please enjoy. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Will Poulter, how are you doing? Thank you. I'm really good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Good, good. Yeah, thanks for coming in. So you're here to talk about Midsummer, yeah. and I watched the film last night stumbled out of the cinema about midnight and I still don't feel okay is that is that is a lot to deal with it's a heck of a film I understand your reaction was kind of similar of just being sort of knocked out and grossed out and overwhelmed by it yeah yeah I knew exactly what you were talking about when you said that because I had a very similar reaction and it's kind of strange like I really don't enjoy watching myself Mm -hmm. I mean I've been lucky I've worked with so many great people that like I you know I I enjoy watching the films that I'm in Mm -hmm. everything but for the stuff that (laughs) um, I'm in but what I've found is you know when you feature in something it's kind of hard to sort of detach yourself from from the memories of shooting it and I think seeing the kind of the seams and and the stitches Mm -hmm. and with Midsommar and I think like the kind of like best films you know i was able to like just totally dissociate myself from the kind of making of the mm-hmm. of the film and, and, and the process behind it and just i don't want to say enjoy it but, but be <laughs> kind of honestly affected by it yeah in, in such a powerful way and i think you know i kind of speak for the for the whole cast when i say that we all were just completely overwhelmed by it yeah. and all felt sort of wowed and disturbed kind of in equal measure and Normally, it's sort of like a cast and crew screening. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of kind of hugs and high fives and congratulations and all that kind of stuff immediately afterwards. But we all sat in silence for quite a long time afterwards and just mm-hmm. allowed the sort of effects of the film to kind of wash over us. And, and it has a lingering effect that, yeah, stayed with me for at least mm-hmm. a couple of days. I had the worst night's sleep of my life. Oh, really? The night before. Like lack of sleep? Oh, sorry, night afterwards. Lack of sleep or like horrible dreams or... Terrible, terrible dreams. Like, like yeah. full-on nightmares. Mm. Which is strange because I wouldn't actually describe the film as being typically scary mm-hmm. or even as scary as say Ari's first film Hereditary or some of the other kind of films it might be sort of compared to or has been compared to but it is utterly disturbing mm. and it's that kind of disturbing feeling that sort of lingers I think longer than a, than a mm-hmm. fright like a fright has a very limited sort of yeah. you know lifespan this idea that like humans are capable of what you see in Midsummer is kind of what's most disturbing about it. It really feels as well like it deals in the that like classic idea of the uncanny. Everything you're seeing is kind of like sort of normal but just just cranked up that little bit higher that it mm. feels uncomfortable. Yeah. Um even before you get into the like really extreme stuff which the film absolutely goes to those places. Right. Yeah, and that's really interesting and I think there you've hit on what is so kind of special about Ari as a filmmaker mm-hmm. is I think he takes things that are very on the surface normal even intriguing and kind of um, pleasing on the eye at first um, so you know you have this community of smiling friendly open compassionate people but then he sort of like messes with the dials and mm-hmm. you know 
turns things here and there and suddenly you know uh it's it's all flipped on its head uh with hereditary he took a theme like grief you know something that of course isn't pleasant by any means by its very nature but is totally relatable you know is very accessible for audiences you know a lot of people have experienced and will experience the process of grief and, and losing someone and that's your access point before he turns up the dial and mm turns that grief into something that's truly horrifying um with midsummer i'd say he does that again the theme of grief is kind of present but then also he takes something as relatable as relationship stress and, and mm -hmm. being trapped in a relationship a relationship that is like toxic for both you and the other person and he just turns up the dials to the point that it's like distorting and, mm -hmm. and, and horrifying and those are the characters played by um, Florence Pugh and Jack Rayner. In yes. fact, you were talking about watching the film. There was an amazing tweet the other week from, from Florence Pugh, having just seen it, where <laughs> it was just a kind of, oh, I'm staring at the floor, I can't. <laughs> Like, did you all see it in that same screening together? Did you watch it with her and with the rest of the cast? Funnily enough, so Florence is, is a uh, prolific and uh, talented tweeter. She's always, <laughs> like, uh, amused me very much on Twitter. But we watched it separately initially. I think Florence watched it on her own first, mm -hmm. um, which is totally understandable because she's in practically every frame of the movie. And by the way, the performance is out of this world good. And then we watched it all together in New York, which was initially really lovely it was catching mm -hmm. up i was like hey everybody there was like a lot of laughs in the first mm -hmm. third to sort of half of the movie which it's like are. a surprisingly funny film as well right absolutely mm. yeah surprisingly funny and then it's suddenly not funny at all, <laughs> yeah. and it's very disturbing so it's quite a nice sort of shift in tone and mood mm. and i was slightly caught off guard by it despite reading the script and despite <laughs> being in it and shooting it and sort of presumably knowing what you know to expect mm. i was still caught massively off guard i mean with the script how much of a sense of the film did you get from that because obviously there is all the the plot stuff and the character stuff which mm. i'm sure you get from the script but the visuals in this are incredible the production design the fact yeah. that it is you see that it's very clearly you're shooting in a field with these huts and everything looks gorgeous and weird mm. did you get a sense of that visual style of the film and how special it was going to be in that sense from the script or did that come later yeah that's a good that's a really good question um particularly with this film because i think it was very ambitious on mm. the page it was like very visceral to read and that right. was exciting and of course that's encouraging and you think wow this is this is daring and this mm. is you know really kind of um trying to sort of push the envelope in lots of respects both narratively and visually but can anyone actually pull it off i mm. mean it, it's great on paper but what is it going to be like in practice and i think watching ari's short films taking into account just how brilliant hereditary was mm. and then getting the chance to talk to him and he's just an avid cinephile who's watched everything and and also as a writer-director, such an intimate understanding of everything that's on the page, particularly his characters, I quickly realised, oh, this is the guy who's going to pull it off. Mm -hmm. Like, this ambitious script has a, you know, good chance of being executed really, really well. And if so, we have a kind of winning movie. And I think, I feel immensely proud to be a part of it, you know, I think for the reason that it is so daring. And, um, yeah, it's kind of like this sort of strange psychedelic kind of like fireworks display in the daytime. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Ari pulled it off. So your character is is Mark. He's one of the um, American tourists who gets invited into this strange Swedish festival that is um, a little bit more sinister than it first seems. Mm. How did you feel about Mark as a character on the page? Because he's the member of the group who he's very sceptical and he's kind of obnoxious. He's kind of comedic, but he's also, he's a bit of a dick. 
He's definitely <laughs> a dick. Yeah, uh, 100%. So Mark was an interesting character to me because I feel like I'm, I'm intrigued by characters who kind of possess a sort of duality. Mm. You know, someone who projects one thing and internally is something very different. So I think Mark, you know, comes with a lot of bravado and projects a lot of confidence but internally he's very insecure and and self-loathing and that's not me being an apologist for his problematic behavior because he's clearly a very regressive out of touch male and you know it was interesting to me getting the opportunity to kind of play someone who I think is an example of kind of how not to be in Mm -hmm. lots of respects and so I guess I was encouraged by the idea that while on occasion you might be laughing with Mark ultimately you're laughing at him and, and kind of what a dick he is and, mm. and he sort of stands out as a kind of sore thumb particularly in this day and age where I think albeit late but we are kind of turning our attention to sort of addressing some of the problematic behaviours and attitudes within the male community it's like Mark is the is the poster child for kind of what we can't afford to sort of uh, suffer any longer mm-hmm. and uh, yeah the easiest way to describe him is a, a dick yeah there's definitely a few toxic men <laughs> yeah film. well there's a couple yeah. exactly yeah very true so it is an amazing cast for, for this uh, obviously we've spoken about Florence Pugh he's mm. just amazing and you've worked with Jack Rayner quite a few times before yeah. and you've got William Jackson Harper like did you he's guys amazing. get to have fun obviously it's a hugely intense film but it's also you guys off in a field doing make believe and like yeah. did you get time to like hang out and have fun or was it very intense all down to work No, definitely. And I think, you know what, sometimes in my experience, I can only kind of speak for me personally, but in my experience, sometimes the kind of pre-production stage is like rarely there at all for actors. Sometimes, you know, you're lucky enough to get a role and then you find yourself kind of flung pretty much straight into the, the shooting process. And that's something that I think can actually ultimately end up hurting, hurting the film and certainly makes the the process a lot harder. Whereas on the shoot for Midsummer, we were kind of blessed to have several weeks as a cast, kind of getting to know each other, gelling, spending a lot of kind of table time, unpacking the script, talking in depth about our characters and their kind of various dynamics. And that was so, so helpful. And it was no mistake either. It was kind of, you know, Ari's design. He engineered it to be that way. And I loved that. You know, it was something that I really missed and craved on other films that Mm -hmm. I've done where maybe for whatever reason, you know, uh, we haven't had that that opportunity. And it helped massively that I'd already built a kind of foundation of, of friendship with Jack Rayner. We've done uh, three films together and, and, mm-hmm. and a fourth recently, the short film that he directed. Yeah. So, and then Florence, I knew William Jackson Harper, I didn't, but, you know, I, I feel like in him and Archie Medecque I've, I've, and and Wilhelm, you know, I've made uh, hopefully friends for life that, that such a such a great group mm. and uh you know while there were like difficult themes obviously and it was in many places a, a dark film there was more than enough you know space for for fun and and, and levity as well yeah what, what did you guys do to sort of bond together we did some interesting exercises uh-huh. um one of them was that we went to a restaurant where you kind of cook your own food. That's the mm. sort of you know gimmick of the restaurant. But we went in character with Ari kind of giving us some kind of soft direction before going into the restaurant. Mm-hmm. But we were in the restaurant for sort of a good kind of two hours or so in character. And that was a really interesting exercise. And <laughs> Especially for your character where you haven't right. been kind of horrible or just kind of flippant and it kind was, of rude. Yeah, it was weird. It was like, it was kind of fun because it came i think at the end of a kind of week or two of sort of 
unpacking the script and mm. reading it and, 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 you know, spending time with one another. So it was an opportunity to kind of put certain things into practice, but also I'm wary of just how kind of obnoxious and loud Mark is. And so, you know, I was doing my best to kind of serve the exercise, but I was also trying not to like ruin the, the <laughs> date that was happening next to me. There was a yeah. couple on a date and I'm, I'm pretty sure that I will have said some pretty offensive things <laughs> right in their earshot while they were sort of, you know, making each other pancakes and, mm. and flambéed strawberries. So that was like a little bit awkward, but um, it was a really fun exercise, yeah. different to anything I'd done before. And uh, yeah, a really kind of useful improvisation, certainly something did, that bonded us. Did the restaurant know that you were doing that? Did they know that was happening? No, the restaurant no. didn't, no. <laughs> All I can remember is Wilhelm's character, Pele, or rather, sorry, Pele, who's played by Wilhelm, just apologizing for me a lot, mm. uh, which I thanked him afterwards because I was like, I couldn't really apologize as much as I would have liked to because mm-hmm. I was sort of like trying to serve <laughs> the exercise. But it, yeah, it was a funny thing to experience. And what did you cook? It was cook your own food. <laughs> well, I feel like I just ate the food prematurely at every opportunity while mm-hmm. he was kind of actually doing the cooking and I was just sort of you know that annoying friend who kind of like snacks at food before mm-hmm. you're actually sort of like finished making it <laughs> I was just kind of that I think um, yeah and I can't remember it was some kind of ramen I think Ooh. far outside of uh, of Mark's comfort zone and definitely out of mine as well I'm yeah. not skilled enough to be able to produce that but Wilhelm did it so amazing <laughs> so are you a festival guy this is a sort mm. of a really kind of fucked up festival film yeah are you a festival person it was Glasgow at the weekend yes did you, did you go I Were did you around? I went to Glasgow did you? how was it I did it was great it was great I think though at 26 years old I'm kind of like feeling like I should have more stamina than this but I can't really do the like three four day kind of crazy festival experience anymore like I, I need to be in bed kind of before most people are, are still up and uh but it was really fun and it's great to see kind of such a great array of music and yeah who, who did you see um i saw dave um oh, i saw slow tie mm-hmm. um i saw jungle i caught a bit of sean paul as well kylie oh that kylie uh, set was, uh, was was huge amazing janet jackson too mm-hmm. yeah i caught a lot of music and uh stormzy obviously made a kind of well, gave a historical performance there, yeah, so that was, was amazing incredible. to see. Yeah, amazing, and, and nothing bad happened. No horrible no. midsummer experiences. What's the worst thing that's no happened to you in the field? Uh, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say the worst thing that's happened to me. Probably putting on, you know, like welly boots after they filled up with rainwater because you left them outside your tent. That that kind of thing, but no, nothing uh, quite on midsummer's uh, scale. But actually, this time around, the weather was amazing. So. It was almost a midsummer experience, right? Because it was like insanely hot, probably really uncomfortably was. hot and bright. For yeah, most that, of it. <laughs> that's it. Uncomfortably hot and right but no no horrifying things happened luckily mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah how did you feel when when you were shooting the film when you went onto that set because we, mm. we mentioned it before yeah that it is you can really clearly see in the shots that it is this huge field and they built all these mm. kind of crazy huts and stuff mm. how did you feel walking into that for the first time was that held off until you shot those scenes entering the camp or had you already been in there pretty much pretty yeah. much yeah by and large i think you know we saw it kind of maybe for the first time on the the day before or maybe the day of uh shooting the, the first scenes that took place in the village and actually i meant to mention it that henrik svensson who's the kind of head of the art department did such an amazing job and his team created something that was so kind of immersive and realistic for us and really did i think help us kind of convincingly play you know this idea that we were kind of you know really taken back and and genuinely experienced kind of wonderment the first Mm. time we go there and it was just amazing to see all the detail and the kind of extreme amount of effort that had gone into constructing these sets and 
the film kind of, if you can stomach it, warrants kind of multiple watches because there are all these kind of clues hidden in mm-hmm. the sort of design. So a lot of the kind of paintings on the walls or a lot of the kind of just imagery has sort of hidden meanings, various kind of symbolism going on, foreshadowing and whatnot, clues about how the story unfurls. And that's that's also something that Ari really likes to embrace. He did it in Hereditary. Yeah, He's kind of really, again, turned up the dials on that um, this time around with Midsummer. Um, so I guess a, a lot of people will have seen you last in uh, Bandersnatch, mm. the Black Mirror oh, right. sort of choose-your-own-adventure film, mm. uh, which was, that was what a cool experience, like even right. just watching it and playing it, however you define that. Yeah, um, yeah. Did that come before Midsummer? When did when did those jobs come about? Yeah, that's a good question. So that came about just before I shot Midsummer. I kind of went on to Midsummer, I guess, a short while after wrapping on Bandersnatch. And I, man, I like feel so lucky to have been part of that mm. project again really daring and ambitious kind of project but you know you look at the people involved and you know Annabelle Jones and Charlie Brooker and David Slade the director mm-hmm. you know you quickly see okay well this is yes very ambitious but you know you've got some incredibly talented very kind of experienced you know people behind it so it was just a real pleasure to be involved and to work with Asim who you know is a friend now but someone I've loved from people mm. just do nothing yeah Finn gives an unbelievable performance and Craig Parkinson's great there's just so many, you know, brilliant elements to that. And uh, I, I really loved it. Very, very challenging. It was Yeah, what, what about the challenge of shooting something in that way? Because, yeah. I mean, we're not used to experiencing stories in that way, let alone for you as an actor being part of shooting those multiple branching storylines. Mm. And have, did you have a sense of where the story was going or did you just have to try and do your part in each yeah. scene? Or? I, I didn't actually know, exactly, yeah, because I didn't actually know how to approach it. Having never yeah. done it before, I was like, do I approach this in the normal way? Because I struggle enough as it is managing a character arc when you're shooting you know out of continuity mm-hmm. I find it difficult sort of managing the kind of emotional journey of a, of a character when there's a singular kind of narrative strand so when there's multiple narrative strands and you're also having to account for sort of different choices and different histories you know for mm-hmm. your character and then also different futures you, you don't want any decision you make in the moment to kind of cause a sort of kink in the the Mm -hmm. arc that you're trying to create so it was really tough and you know i mean there were times when i'd deliver dialogue to the person opposite me and they'd be looking at me and like that's the wrong version this this isn't this storyline yeah that that line is in the other option you Uh need to like you know so that was that was a unique challenge Mm -hmm. and uh you know some of the other actors were like unflappable whereas i i really struggled with that but yeah, really fun, and I'm I'm so glad that I you know got an opportunity to to do I guess kind of one of the earliest sort of efforts in that yeah in that respect. And did you play it when it came out? Did you watch it? Or I mean, I I guess it's hard when you're in it, but yeah, there's so much that that's outside of your character as well. Were you more tempted than usual in terms of watching a film that you're in? Yes, yeah, I guess I was. I guess I was. I also kind of knew pretty well how I would be able to best enjoy it uh, mm. because uh, as soon as I sort of got rid of myself I was able to kind of just sort of sit back and, and, and relax Yeah, did you chuck yourself off the balcony? Yeah, yeah, I did, yeah, yeah. Um, I've sat next to loved ones and family members who've uh, thrown me over the balcony while I'm just sat you know, right next to them but it is genuinely one of those things you can kind of go back and sort of you know, try multiple times mm-hmm. and have multiple experiences with which is which is really cool and obviously, you know, very unique yeah, I mean there were obviously kind of horror elements to that oh. uh, also last year I really loved uh, The Little Stranger that oh, film thanks, has really man. stayed with me and I thought you were absolutely great in it That's really um, kind, and that was obviously not an all out horror but it had this kind of 
under bubbling sort mm. of gothic feel to it. Yeah. And then Midsummer. Are you are you a horror guy? Is is that a genre that appeals to you as a viewer as well as as an actor? It's funny. I, I guess I've never really gravitated towards one genre more than the other. Mm. I think you know, kind of forced to say whether I prefer sort of comedy or drama. I think I would say drama and and, and the various genres that you kind of fall under that umbrella. But I find myself, you know, in a sort of horror that is also kind of in part a comedy as well, playing quite mm-hmm. a kind of comedic character. And that, I guess, probably goes slightly against my my interests as a viewer. But um, Midsummer is, you know, and I don't know what it says about me, but it's very much my cup of tea still. Yeah. And, and I do like films that kind of exist in the grey areas. You know, I was so lucky to work with Lenny Abramson, who's one of my favourite directors on that project, mm-hmm. um, The Little Stranger. And and yeah, I like the fact that it wasn't easily definable. It wasn't, you know, a sort of out-and-out horror. It was also a period drama. It was also a kind of psychological mm-hmm. thriller. It was also something that you couldn't quite put your finger on that there maybe mm-hmm. isn't a, a label for. And I really loved the complexity of that character. Again, sort of, you know, um, felt as though he had a kind of duality to him as well. And uh, it was it was a joy to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for a while as well, um, kind of early on in production, you were attached to it mm-hmm. for the Pennywise role. Was that from a desire to kind of, I don't know, to it's one thing to be in a horror film and, Lots of stuff happens to you mm. in Midsummer, mm. but to be a sort of horror villain, a horror huh. icon, is that something that appeals to you, or was that something that, having had that experience, you're like, I'm kind of done with that? I I don't know. I mean, I was really glad to see you know that that it went ahead and and you know had so much success. I think mm. Bill Skarsgård did a did a fantastic job, and very pleased for Andy who, as well, the director, who's such a lovely guy. So so that that's kind of wonderful. I think for me, so long as I feel like I can, you know, authentically embody the character and do my best, that's kind of what governs my decisions uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to to taking a role in the context of a story that I feel like I can subscribe to and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of get behind the message of. But whether it's a villain or, or, or a hero, you know, for, for want of a less kind of reductive, you know, way of putting it. I don't mind. It's just whether I can kind of authentically play that person. But no, I, I would still be open to playing, you know, villains. I'm, I'm kind of open to playing anything, um, <laughs> provided it's kind of appropriate, you know. And you mentioned it before, you've been working with Jack Rayner on his mm. short film debut. Yeah. Uh, right, I'm sure I'm going to pronounce this wrong because no, it's, it's an it's, Irish film, right? Yes. Uh, Bonya. 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 Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, what can you tell me about that? Because you're the lead in that, right? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because Jack is someone who, you know, is not only a very close friend of mine, but someone I'm a, I'm a fan of, you know, mm-hmm. from his work as an actor. And, you know, when someone as talented as Jack in, you know, one domain says, oh, I'm going to cross over into this other one and start directing. Honestly, I was nervous. I was like, mm. ah, I don't know. I don't want you to fall between stools. Like, you're so <laughs> great as an actor. Like, don't hang up the acting boots and then, you know, go fully over into directing because you'll be missed. And mm. I was worried and, and maybe, honestly, a little bit sceptical. And, and he knows that. And honestly, like, to watch your friend take to something as kind of, not like even seamlessly, just brilliantly as, mm-hmm. as he did and fulfill the role of a director as kind of confidently and successfully as he did with with Bonya like it's amazing um, I'm going to Galway relatively soon for the uh, for the festival out there where we're going to be premiering the film and immensely proud to be a part of it it's inspired by Irish history mm-hmm. um, set during the time of the, of the Great Famine and uh, it's also stylistically inspired by a lot of Japanese ghost stories wow. um, that Jack is kind of very well versed in and Jack captures all of that in this really kind of beautiful little black and white short that called Bonya um, which means milk in, in Gaelga. Ooh, yeah. okay. 
fun fact for there you. There you go, yeah. Um, so, so what else has this summer got in store for you? I'm with the, the Midsummer Tribe um, mm-hmm. uh, on the promotional trail for a little bit longer, but it is out Friday, July 5th. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, really annoyingly, and I know this is annoying, I'm not allowed to say, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to what's next and uh, sort of, um, yeah, getting back to work and getting my hands dirty. No holidays in Sweden, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> Sweden is such a lovely place. <laughs> Don't let midsummer put you off Sweden. Yeah. It's, it's the best place uh, that I've been recently. It's so, so lovely. So you ha- you've been to Sweden. Been, Did you I, have to apologize? I, yeah. <laughs> I need to go back and apologize, but I've been, I went for midsummer a few months before we started shooting and it mm. was phenomenal and not uh, like the midsummer you see in, in the film. <laughs> I mean, inspired by only. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for coming along. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Will Poulter. Cheers. Thanks a lot, man. Okay, so that was Will Poulter. And now let's get on to the movie review section. And when you've just spoken to Will Poulter, the star of Midsommar, there is only one place, only one film mm. with which you can begin. It is, of course, you know where I'm going with this, Helen. Yeah. Spider-Man Far From hey. Home. Now, we did talk about this briefly last week, but that was with two completely different people. Oh, well, that doesn't count. Two they completely don't different matter. people. Mm. And one of them doesn't even like Marvel movies. Oh. Even I don't even know how he got in here, quite frankly. Ian Freer. Oh. I mean, he liked the film, so I let him live. But That's fair. Otherwise, mm. uh, James Starr was the other one, and his opinion anything doesn't really count. I think we've established that. So... Helen. Hi. You like the Marvel movies? I have been known to like a Marvel movie or two, yes. Ben. Yeah, they're all right. Okay, good. <laughs> they're, they're very good. You may talk about this movie. Yes. Thank so you. in this film, set eight months after the events of Endgame, everyone's back at school, everyone's living their lives again after what they're now calling the blip, where half the population of the world disappeared for five years. And they're just trying to get back in the swing of it, um, including Spider-Man, who's obviously been dealing with the consequences of that, shall we mm. say. I don't want to spoil anything for the three of you who still haven't seen it. Anyway, so he's going on his class trip to Europe and he just wants to have a nice trip to Europe. But wouldn't you know it, Nick Fury needs his help with something and tries to recruit him and basically hijack his trip to help out Quentin Beck, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who um, basically introduces himself to Spidey, explains that he's come from another dimension, another Earth, and that he's trying to save our Earth from what happened to his Earth. Earth 616. That's right. I like that touch. It was really Mm -hmm. good. Very good. So that's basically your setup for the film, um, with lots of globetrotting, with Peter also trying to find time to sort of confess his feelings for MJ, played obviously by Zendaya, and just a whole amount of incredibly cute likable teenage behavior. So, so likable. They're so likable. So likable. Ben, what did you think of this movie? I really enjoyed it. Thanks, I didn't Ben. <laughs> the next movie is... Mo- oh, okay. Yes, carry on. No, I, I really liked it. I um, didn't like it quite as much as Homecoming, but for me, Homecoming is top five MCU. I love it so much. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, it's Whoa. top five MCU for me, and we might be getting into this at some point. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I absolutely love Spider-Man Homecoming. The thing that I love about Spider-Man Homecoming is that, for me, it's kind of miraculous that in a world that has seen so many Spider-Men, too many Spider-Men, as Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt <laughs> might say, that you get Tom Holland comes along, and he is immediately like the most Spider-Man you could possibly imagine, and yet also completely different yeah. to these previous incarnations. And it felt, yeah, so incredibly Spider-Man-y, and yet really different to the Amazing Spider-Man and the mm-hmm. Raimi Spider-Man incarnations. So I loved that about it. I love teen movies. That's just, that's 
just a world that I love being in. For me as well, it was just like the funniest film of that year. It wasn't even ostensibly a comedy. Yeah, it was a great and Homecoming completely cracks me up. It so, is very, very funny. To say that this isn't quite as good is just to kind of... It's still not... It's, it's still yeah. not... It's still very good. Criticism, it's like really, proper yeah. mid, mid-tier Marvel. Um, it's still really funny. All the stuff between the kids is still great. And I love the fact that there's there's a lot going on in this film. You've got Peter Parker on his class trip. You've got um, Mysterio and the Elementals and all these different threads going on. Such a great band name, by the but... way. <laughs> the, the Elementals, by the way, are the, are the threat that, that yes. Spider-Man and Mysterio have to these face. big kind of yeah. monstery, uh, the one's kind of fiery, one's kind of... Well, they're the elements. Yeah, Hydro Man and Molten Man. They're the the (laughs) names of these characters, Mm -hmm. and they're awful uh, villains in the comic book. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what John Watts, who's returning to direct here, was was intrigued by the idea: can I make these terrible, terrible all CG characters? Can I give them personality and kind of make them actually decent threats for for mm. Peter Parker? And I feel like he partially succeeds in that. I really like that they're uh, enemies that Spider Man is like the least suited, um, incredibly badly suited to, to fight to fight yeah. them because like none of his usual tricks work on them, and mm. they, it plays really nicely with taking Spider Man and putting him in situations and literally in, in places because they're in Europe that he's yeah. never been to before, having to contend with with these obstacles in a different way. And despite all of that going on, it never loses sight of Peter Parker wanting to ask out MJ. Yeah. And I loved how strong that thread was all the way through. Yeah, I think this is, I think it's great. I, I obviously really, mm. really liked it. I think it does some really, really clever things. I think it's Marvel's most small P political film. Um, I don't mm. think Marvel does capital P political, but this actually has some really, really interesting things to say in the second half, which I won't get into because it would be a spoiler, but we will in the spoiler special, yeah. that it's quite pointed actually. And I feel like the people who have thought that Marvel kind of sat on the fence on certain issues. It doesn't actually sit on the fence. We've had this conversation before, and I think you're on the same page as me. I don't think they've ever sat on the fence I do think they have either, but people... Where they sit as a company. People argue the other side to me, and I don't think they can on this one, is what I'm saying. Agreed. But I also, we've talked, you and I have talked a lot to the the people who write Mm. and direct these movies, and as far as I can tell, they all lean one direction politically not well, like Harry, Harry Styles, Styles is great you know. <laughs> he's just awesome let's not get into it now but I mm. I think that yeah, Civil well, War and Winter Soldier could be like, the, the P might be a capital P in, in, I, in I, as well I agree you yeah. know I agree but yeah but the, I'm just the, saying, the dickheads I'm just saying it's yeah. not arguable in the other direction this time okay. in any sense yeah. in my mind um, yes. so I really like that I think the character development for Spider-Man and his friends is great like MJ actually has a character. I don't think this film passes Bechdel, but I do think she's a great character in her own right. Bechdel's fantastic in this movie. Okay. And just the whole class gets something to do. It's not just them. There's a bit more Flash. Um, there's lots of Ned. <laughs> and a bit more there's lots yeah, more yeah. Betty. It's, yeah. it's, it's a gorgeous little class trip. I'm intrigued to get into this with you on the Spotter Special mm. because I, th- I actually thought that people might have a problem with how little there is of the other characters because John Watts makes a very interesting decision that he we are with Peter the entire time mm. and I, I I'm pretty sure that's the same thing in Homecoming as well like every scene revolves around Peter is from his POV um, when other characters come into it they're coming into Peter's POV they're coming into his world and it's very much the same here as well for example and not to give spoilers this isn't a spoiler we don't really see scenes where Ned goes off and does his thing. He doesn't have a subplot. We don't really see scenes where we're going True. off with MJ yeah. and we're getting to explore her or we're getting to know her with her. Everything is seen through the, the prism of Peter. Yeah. But at the same time, they're yeah. given characters. They're given yes, you know, they desires are. that are separate from Peter. They're not just there to impress Peter. They yes. have their own concerns 
going on, which I, I just really, really like. Cool. Martin Starr is great as well as oh, their teacher again. He's, he's so funny. He's such a sad sack. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favourite MCU supporting characters. Yeah. Uh, pretty much <laughs> on the basis of this movie alone. He's very, very, he's very funny. So uh, there will be a Spider-Man Far From Home spoiler special, which will feature interviews with director John Watts, producer Kevin Feige, and producer Amy Pascal, oh doing goodness. her very first ever spoiler special podcast. This is cool. This is very, very cool. Can I also say, this should go without saying in a Marvel movie, <laughs> but you stayed till the very end of the credits. The there is no end. leaving in the middle of the credits, people. Absolutely. And there is a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot the of stuff special. to talk about. Mm-hmm. And very excited as well, guys, to see where this comes in our MCU ranking, which mm-hmm. we're also doing next week. So that's going to be... I've, I've seen it three fun. times now. Same. And every Ditto. single time I've waited until the very end because I want to hear everyone else lose their shit in the post-credits. That actually yeah, like happened any, last night. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah, I went yeah. to see it last night. People will have physical and audible yeah. reactions yeah. to those yeah. post-credit scenes. It is. Yeah. It is. A, it is a glorious thing to see. In fact, skip the movie, <laughs> and then just time as you come in no. for the last ten minutes. No, no, no. Okay. Not. Anyway, four stars in for Spider-Man: Far From Home. And you know what? Fuck it. We might review it again next week. Yay! <laughs> Why Yay. not? We'll just keep reviewing it until the end of time. Uh, let's talk about Midsummer. And I'm mm. going to step back here because I haven't seen it. You guys. Mm-hmm. Have I have yes. yes you have that's good it's always a good start when we're reviewing a film I have seen I have experienced mm. I have not shaken off no midsummer that is that is the correct I think uh, reaction so this is obviously the new film from Ari Aster who made Hereditary and scarred us all for life last summer. This time, we start with the story of Danny, who's played by Florence Pugh, and she experiences a tragedy. Uh, in her life. She's a college student, um, maybe a PhD student. I'm not quite clear. Anyway, college student. And she experiences this tragedy. And as a result, her boyfriend, who was kind of thinking about breaking up with her, and Mm -hmm. she was kind of thinking he would. He's played by Jack Mm Grainer. They decide to stay together. He doesn't feel the time is right, understandably. And then he invites her with his friends to Europe. One of their friends is a Swedish exchange student. They're all going back to visit his home in Sweden for the summer festival. And she tags along as well. And then it becomes gradually clear that, you know, this is not a guy who, you know, just happens to know about a really cool pop concert in Stockholm. They are going to the middle of nowhere, quite far north in the country. So it's kind of endless daytime. This is a very daytime horror to the extent it is. And these kids are not in for what they expected. They're sort of intruding into or being invited into a very strange community with their own very particular traditions that may or may not may turn <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not in for what they think they're in for. They're in for what we think they're yeah, in for yeah, as the audience going, absolutely. don't go to the festival. What are you doing? And what's interesting here is basically nobody really lies to them. I mean, they leave some stuff out, but they don't actually mm. lie about what's in store. And these people go along anyway, thinking everything will be fine. And it's kind of not. It's an extraordinarily beautiful film. I would be amazed if you see a more beautiful film this year. I would also be amazed if you see a grosser film this year. It's, Ooh, it's there a is bit some of crazy both. gore in this. There this is, is some 18 gore. rated for its gore. And yeah. the amount of stuff that you can get away with these days, at 18, you have Ugh. to really push the boundaries. And there, there are images that are continually brought up on the screen that you're like, oh, no, I didn't need to see that again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say go with a strong stomach. Yeah. Um, it for me it didn't uh, it didn't hit me in the same way that Hereditary no because did it's, it's in... not actually scary. 
In a weird way. No, it's kind of horrifying. Yes. But it's not scary. And uh, even for me with Hereditary, though... Isn't the, surf- the point of a horror film, isn't it? Is mm-hmm. it to be mm-hmm. scary? Uh, with Hereditary, though, for me, it wasn't the sort of more traditionally horror-y stuff at the end that got me. It was the big thing a third of the way through mm-hmm. and how oh, yeah. emotionally distressing yep. and the sheer harrowing, horror-filled weight of that. Yep. That this doesn't quite... But this isn't trying Explore to do that. Explore that in that Yeah, way. this isn't, I think, trying to do that. It's trying to do something very, di- very, very different. So I, I agree with you. I think Hereditary, it's, for the first third of the film, it does feel like it's a horror. It does feel like that creeping dread. Mm-hmm. And then there's that thing that happens and that throws everything for a loop. But you're still kind of, you still kind of got the dread by that point because it's kind of embedded. Mm-hmm. In this one, even though you know bad things are happening and you're dreading them happening, um, you don't kind of have that build. You don't kind of have that kind of catharsis almost of the the moments that you think you're going to see. So it's n- it's in a weird way, very, very horrifying and not really scary, but at the same time really sticks with you, really haunts you and is very, very impactful. And I think is exactly the film that you set out to make. It's very, very successful that way, but it's maybe not the film you expect to see. It's an odd beast but not a bad one and especially because you're not going to expect this to be funny but it's i laughed loads and it's very deadpan even very in its funny. most horrific moments mm. it's kind of there is a sort of deadpan humor at play even in the kind of the big first major horrific thing that happens there's also an underlying element where it is like weirdly comic in a way and i think it treads that line in a really interesting way yeah. two questions from an idiot who hasn't seen it sure where does this stand in terms of the torture porn Genre? It's not torture porn no. at all. Okay. I mean, again, hor- horrific things happen, but not in a torture porny, drawn out sort of way. Okay. So, for example, it's not like it doesn't have. It's not a close cousin of. It sounds to me a little bit like it, it's a close cousin of some of those cannibal movies from no. the, the 70s or something like no. Eli Roth's no. The Green Inferno. No, um, not, not at all. No. I've also seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre cited as a. I can see why, mm-hmm. um, just in the setup, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a small group of students coming to a remote location and also the kind of the beauty of the way that that was sometimes filmed, especially mm-hmm. those final shots and also the sheer amount of gore. Mm-hmm. But also, no, it's not what would spring to mind. Obviously, The Wicker Man's been cited by a lot of people and, and it, as much as a, what what to kind of avoid sticking too close to as as a you know, what it's like. But at the same time, I think this is very much its own beast at the end of the day. And and its concern is not with the thing you think it's with. The story it's trying to tell ultimately, and I don't want to get into spoilers, but the story it's trying to tell ultimately, I don't think is, is the story you think you're watching. So I don't want to say too much more than that. Can we just say Florence Pugh, I know everything Florence Pugh is in, you come out and go, oh, Florence Pugh is amazing. Yeah. But you come out of this like, oh my God, Florence She's so Pugh good. is amazing. Yeah. She's so great. You really understand every conflicting emotion that her character is going through the whole way through. And she, yeah, she's extraordinary. And full, full credit, I think, to the whole cast. Now, you know, yeah. Not just her, but, the, you know, the friendly Swedish cultists are very friendly and very mm-hmm. nice. Um, very Swedish. Yeah. Um, you know, Will Poulter is uh, the kind of obnoxious mate that mm-hmm. your boyfriend has that you kind of have to hang out with because he's your boyfriend's best mate. But mm-hmm. Jesus, he's annoying. Yeah, we've talked about how he is. He's a dick. Yeah. He's just yeah. a dick. And Chidi's in it as well, William Chidi. Jackson Harper. Um, so all does, really, really good actors, basically. Does he do his Chidi face? Like kind of, uh, Do you know what? He, he's very, very separate from Chidi, despite mm. also being what? a kind of academic. Almost like he's an actor playing I know, right? characters or something. 
he's definitely not in the good place. Okay. <laughs> five stars then, because uh, Nick Dissemlian reviewed this yeah. and he lost his shit for this movie. Five stars for Midsommar, which is, I believe, a recommendation. I would say so. so. For the right person, is a recommendation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Maybe don't uh, double bill it with Spider-Man Far From Home, but perhaps do double bill it with another five-star horror classic which is out this week re-released mm. in cinemas across the country which is Nick Rogue's Don't Look Now mm. and uh, yeah this yeah, is just a stunning film incredible film and don't want to go into too much but one of the most iconic well so much about this movie is iconic uh, iconic exploration of grief mm-hmm. and loss and marriage also set in Venice yeah like bits of Spider-Man Far mm. From Home yeah. it's up to you to decide which, which movie you think is the best <laughs> So what you do is you triple bill, you start with Spider-Man and then when you've got Venice in your head, you go into Don't Look Now and then mm-hmm. when you're like, oh, I really need some more like emotional grief-stricken horror, mm-hmm. um, you go into Midsummer, And that's sounds... going to be a really topsy-turvy yeah. day for you. That's yep. going to be a killer. Mm. Iconic Lord. ending, iconic uh, love-making scene, mm-hmm. I think Whoa. we can call it. All sorts of stuff going on there. It is one of the true horror greats so check out Don't Look Now if you haven't already seen it in the big screen then do try and make time to do it so this week five stars for that one as well and that is it wow on that bombshell that is it for this very very long episode of the Empire Podcast but the Will Polder interview is quite short so it all works out it all balances it's all part of the great balance it's what Thanos would call a perfect podcast no no? no guarantee you not oh it's a shame it's a real shame. I'm really aiming for the Thanos market at the moment. It's a very lucrative market. Is it? Yeah, well, it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, join us next week for more film-related fun. We will be joined by... <gasps> I have no idea. Oh my God, I love him. <laughs> I have no, genuinely, no idea who's going to be joining us in next week's show. And that makes it all the more fun for me. So... Cool, 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 cool. In the unlikely event that you are an A-list star and you happen to be in London next week and you have some time to spare, then just drop me a line. DM me at Chris Hewitt on Twitter, and uh, that's 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 talk. That's my pe- my people will talk to your people and we'll make this happen. I haven't had a chance to talk on the podcast about seeing Henry Cavill and his giant dog in a pub in London, which happened a couple of weeks ago, and it was like the best thing that's ever happened to me. That sounds like the best thing that's yeah. ever happened. He was great, but his dog was amazing. How giant are we talking? Are we talking it's Clifford the Big like Red bear. Dog? It's like a it's like a big sort of hus- kind of husky esque, like a bear for thing. any other any other man. But yeah. for Henry Cavill, but it's a <laughs> chihuahua. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they were just having a, a Friday night in the pub, as was I, separately. <laughs> what well, was the dog at a table with them? Like they yeah, just yeah, having yeah, a beer. Yeah, they were at a table. The, yeah. And the main, it was more like, oh my god, have you seen that giant dog? Oh, there's Henry Cavill. Then like, oh my god, there's Henry Cavill. Also, a giant dog. Um, I mean, he's delightful, but also dogs. Did you speak? Oh. Did you speak to Henry Cavill? I, I well, I did the whole like. I obviously know who you are, but I'm not going to be like, oh, it's you. I'm just going to be like, oh, is this your dog? Oh, it's really lovely. This is great. Have a nice evening. Um, and, and then the dog was just like lying on the floor next to me in the pub. So obviously, I had to go over and stroke it again. Was he a good boy? Oh, he was such a good boy. Such a good boy. Extremely well behaved. Of course. Yeah. The super dog. Yeah. Best thing is, its name is actually Cal. No way! His name is Cal with a K. That's lovely. Oh. It was apart from the time I almost physically bumped into Paul McCartney and was so shocked. 
that I couldn't do anything about it. Um, <laughs> it's the best celebrity spot I've ever had in London. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was great. The the Empire WhatsApp group was, was on was. fire that night. It was, yeah. it really was. Yeah. Uh, so that, the pub is the Fortress of Solitude, and if you want to <laughs> check it out. Oh, that's that's, that's pretty somewhere. awesome. Why the hell didn't you get talking to him, become friends with him, and then we could have just had him on the podcast next week. Oh. I mean, come on. Come on, We ben. could have yeah. finally had the conversation the about prize, Justice ben. League that we weren't able to have when I interviewed him <laughs> on this podcast yeah. about fucking Justice League. So we could have done that. We could have done that. And it's your fault, Ben. I'm sorry. Get out. Fine. I, I, I'm not I kidding, we're, ben. we're finishing up. This Get is the out. end of the podcast. I don't care. I don't care if we've got no, 30 no, seconds to no, run. No, we have... Ben? No, no, no. I want you to leave, Ben. Wait, why are you leaving? Ben? I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> I don't need this. All right. Back. Yeah, come back. Here he goes. There he goes. I could never throw Ben out. Look at him. Oh, look at his little face. I'm back. Anyway, until next week, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion again, please do get in touch if you're an A list. I will accept B list. Oh my God. I'm not picky. So I'm not picky. I may even, as the week goes on, drop down to C list. Okay? Come on, Chris. All right. If you have a face and I've <laughs> vaguely heard of you, then please do get in touch. Hang on. This week, the Advertising Standards Authority claim that anyone with 30,000 Twitter followers is a celebrity. So your options are pretty open. Our guest in next week's podcast is podcaster, broadcaster, journalist, writer, and guy with, I don't know, MDE? I don't don't want to speak for him, but Chris Hewitt will be our guest (laughs) on the podcast next week. Very much looking forward to that guy. He has a lot of incendiary things to say. Let's just put it that way. Until we meet again... Until we meet again, it is goodbye from Ben Travis. Goodbye. Get out, Ben. I will leave of my own accord. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Tiddly. And it's goodbye from me. I am off, not just to the play that goes wrong, but also to the Harry Potter tour tomorrow. Oh, it's so oh, good. I enjoy it. It's my favourite So place. I might try and kick that Buckbeak. So next week's guest might be Buckbeak. Who knows? Find out next week if my attempt is successful. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.